0: a complex world brimming with new ambitions. The best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Networks. Digital Doers podcast. And um, first of all, thank you to all of you who have pushed all the right buttons so you could join in on our conversation today, which I'm really looking forward to because it's uh, not only with someone who is uh, quite an accomplished engineer and scientist, uh, but someone that I, uh, I, I hold as a friend. And so I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. But before we get into that, Um, I want to not only say thank you to those of you who are listening to us today, I also want to say thank you to HPE. Um, HPE is the sponsor of the Digital Doers podcast. And HPE, if you get a chance, go take a look at their website. In particular, they're talking a lot these days about a new offering they have, or maybe not so new now, maybe it's a year or so, or maybe a little more, called HPE Greenlake. And they call this their, their edge to cloud platform. Um, and it's all about bringing the cloud to you, um, wherever your data and your apps reside. And what, they, what they're what they striving to do and what they are doing with their clients is uh, providing uh, kind of this um, off, off-site or commercial kind of cloud experience. Um, they're bringing that to you uh, on-premise. and. Uh, You know, HPE has the widest portfolio of on-premise cloud services and over 12 years of consumption-based experience. So go check out hpe.com and learn a little more about the cloud that comes to you. And uh, one more time, this is the Digital Doers Platform, and we are on the Oil & Gas Global Network, and the Oil & Gas Global Network has... The largest community of podcasts about the oil and gas industry in the world. And I think sometimes this year, uh, this year we're, we should hit uh, about, I think it's 2 million downloads. So uh, a lot of good information and a lot of good listening available to you if you want to go to oggn.com. And you can also find many of their podcasts uh, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. So with that, we're going to kick off now. And actually, I want to introduce you to Shadi Shore. And Shadi is the, the principal engineer for hydro, the Hydrogen te- no, Technology Center with GTI Energy. And... Uh, This particular morning, which is in October, we are recording this, it is 70 degrees in Houston, and Shadi tells me it is in the 30s in Chicago, (laughs) and maybe winter's already approaching there. So um, Shadi has uh, um, a long uh, experience. She has a lot of work experience doing uh, a lot of things, not only in the hydrogen space or renewable space, but a lot in the oil and gas space. She um, has everything from a bachelor's to a master's to a Ph.D. in petroleum engineering. And Shadi and I, um, we actually have something in common. She is from, uh, got her Ph.D. from uh, my alma mater um, in uh, Norman, Oklahoma, some, a, a place where we call the Sooner land. So uh, welcome, Shadi.
1: Thank you, John. And it's a pleasure to be here today. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for uh, our conversation.
0: What else, Shadi, did I not cover kind of in that bio, bio, which was kind of short? Is there anything else you would like for us to know about about, uh, your experience or how you got to where you are?
1: Yeah, I think... um, Thank you for the introduction. I think it was great. Um, The only thing I would like to add is also that uh, during my PhD, I also got a a degree in uh, data science and analytics. And that was kind of like my introduction to a new area of, uh, uh, you know, working for the energy industry, which is um, working more around digital technologies and providing digital solutions. Uh, based on the massive amount of data we have in in the energy industry.
0: Yes. And I knew that, and that was a big miss on my part. So thank you for for clearing that up. Yes. Um, And that's a lot. I think uh, the data science piece is a big part of what you've done over the last several years, isn't it, Shadi?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Over the past four to five years, uh, I've been trying in in different roles, uh, you know, as you mentioned in the oil and gas industry, then moving over to, uh, you know, more renewable energy industry. I've been always trying to uh, leverage data for providing additional insights about how um, basically we are doing in uh, technology development, in providing solutions to some of the industry challenges.
0: And so, tell us a little bit, Shadi. How long have you been with GTI now?
1: I've been with GTI for a little over three years now. I joined in two thousand nineteen, and uh, I started as a reservoir engineer, uh, mostly leading our efforts around enhanced oil recovery. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to have, you know, exposure to different areas of um, uh, work and. Um, around the company, including the work uh, we have on the hydrogen industry and hydrogen technologies. And that was kind of um, uh, my, uh, you know, my entryway to the hydrogen uh, industry. And I was really fascinated by understanding that how um, both of the skills that I have developed uh, in the oil and gas industry are not only relevant, but also transferable um, to uh, to a different industry, just because um, when we talk about hydrogen, we are still in need of uh, you know, driving insights from uh, the data, and also when we talk about uh, uh, you know, decarbonization, we are still in need of uh, tapping into our subsurface infrastructure for storing uh, gas molecules uh, such as hydrogen or CO2. Uh, so that was really fascinating for me to see that transfer of skills and knowledge to different areas.
0: Yeah, and, and I like that point about the infrastructure too, right? The yeah. th- what we what we took out in hydrocarbons and left behind in void space um, has some applicability, some value in the renewable exactly area, yeah, arena. Okay. There's something else that I missed in the bio. So let's just agree that I completely botched the bio because there's another important role that you have that we didn't touch on. And I, I want to be sure because I think it's, I think it's fascinating. And I think it's such an important role. You have a role with the International Energy, IEAA. What, what is the acronym? That's it's, it's leaving me, but the International Energy? Agency. Okay. So just the IEA. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um, this is the international version of the US version, which is the EIA. Am I getting my acronyms kind of right? That's correct. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. much. Okay. So That's tell that. us what are you doing with the EIA? So Sorry, uh, right, sorry, the international, the I, the international one, tell us, Shadi. Yeah,
1: with IEA. So IEA has a different task force for working on, you know, different areas of the energy industry. Uh, and these task force are really focused on uh, doing some um, research and providing some insight about what's happening in our industry. The task force I am uh, part of is uh, related to underground hydrogen storage. So it's a sub-task of a hydrogen task force of the International Energy Agency, uh, which is focused only on the storage solutions. And basically what we do is uh, we look into like a broad range of challenges that uh, the industry is facing um, for storing hydrogen from, you know, fundamental research questions like, uh, Um, what are the differences between hydrogen versus like uh, methane or natural gas that we have been storing for uh, several decades um, that we need to be mindful of and you know uh, thinking about storing now hydrogen into those um, underground you know storage facilities Uh, all the way to what are the safety regulatory concerns around that how we can overcome those how we can provide some um, you know, uh, recommendations on the needed uh, safety or best, best practice, uh, best practices around storing hydrogen as well as, you know, the regulatory um, recommendations. Um, and also providing some insight on how we can bring all that into real life by, uh, you know, uh, providing insights on the operational aspects, you know, what it takes to actually uh, have um, those wells uh, that were utilized for either extracting or storing a different type of fluid now as a conduit for storing hydrogen, uh, what it takes to convert, you know, those facilities for hydrogen service now, or what are the pathways for creating um, new storage facilities around the world?
0: Yeah. And so uh, this is a relatively new role that you've assumed. and Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Yes.
0: Yeah. And so,
1: have you had
0: a, a, a meeting yet with this? You, it's a subcommittee, you said.
1: Um, yeah, um, we kicked off our meetings beginning in January um, this year, and uh, we are having like um, mo- at least monthly meetings uh, for you know um, different uh, groups. So basically, we have different subgroups focusing on you know different. Um, uh, challenges that I mentioned, like from the safety to, you know, operation to the research question. So each group is focusing on, you know, um, one angle and uh, they are meeting regularly, exchanging information uh, and uh, kind of um, coming up with not only the solutions, but also um, the next questions that we need to be answering, you know, um, in the future through uh, either R&D or, Uh, you know, uh, more of the piloting and administration.
0: Okay. Um, So so tell me a little bit, just because I'm kind of fascinated by that entity in general, because it is a very trusted source of scientific um, research and scientific analysis and answers. You know, um, and so about are, are are all of the countries represented or about how many com- countries are represented in your hydrogen subcommittee
1: uh, that's a good question um I don't have the exact number on, t- on the top of my head but I think um, more than 50 organizations okay. uh, right. from across the world so from Europe Middle East and you know North America are members okay of, of the task okay. so that's
0: a that's a broad a broad range. So, so tell me, you know, we often hear when we hear about renewables, you know, we hear a lot and perhaps it's because, um, as, uh, you know, just the, 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 general population or society, these, um, renewable options are easy for us to understand. So we hear about, um, solar or wind or even, you know, hydro, uh, hy- uh, hydraulic, um, you know, kind of, um, energy. We don't hear quite as much other than it's this kind of, uh, elusive thing called hydrogen. Um, tell us how big a role do you think, um, hydrogen is going to play, um, in the energy transition? And so I guess I'm really thinking about, you know, not, two centuries from now, but, you know, in the next several decades, how big a role is uh, hydrogen going to play, do you think, Shadi?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting that you mentioned, um, because uh, by no means I know myself as a hydrogen expert yet. (laughs) I'm still a newbie uh, learning, you know, uh, all the different angles of hydrogen economy. But uh, what I can tell is that, um, you know, even though there are still challenges to overcome, um, it is clear that hydrogen is going to play an important part of our uh, clean and secure energy future. Um, and, you know, over the past year or so, if we look back, we can see that not a single week has gone by without, you know, us hearing a new announcement about hydrogen strategy from either governments or businesses. So, um, I would say it's an exciting time for hydrogen and, um, right now is um, definitely known that it's going to play a, a basically crucial role in our future uh, energy system and uh, it's because mainly uh, hi- it's mainly because hydrogen is a versatile molecule so it can be utilized in many different ways and um, it, it can be energy source it can also be an energy uh, carrier that you know um, you can use for storing or um, uh, transferring your other energy uh, resources um, so you mentioned like solar or wind hydrogen could be um, a path for um, overcoming that inter uh, intermittency in you know in those renewable energies by providing you a way to um, have uh, a buffering solution so basically you can uh, when you have an um, excessive amount of energy you can convert it to hydrogen store it uh, and then when you are short of um, like wind or solar energy you can again uh, reutilize that hydrogen uh, for um, you know supplying to the for example for to the electricity grid yeah. so these are like the things that make hydrogen very versatile very applicable to different parts of the industry
0: Wow. Well, yeah um... I, I did not realize that. So it's not only kind of uniquely, uh, um, an energy, a potential energy source, but it also can play a role somehow in, in supplementing, um, or, um, uh, creating, like you said, kind of this, a buffer so that when you don't have wind and you don't have uh, sun that you still have the ability to, um, to generate some, some power. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Um, And so, Shadi, tell me, what does GTI Energy do? Tell me a little bit about what you guys do.
1: So uh, we are an independent, non-for-profit organization established by the natural gas industry over 80 years ago. And what we work on is really developing solutions to the energy industry challenges, really from... Down hole to the burner tip. Uh, so we work on uh, you know, um, providing these solutions through innovation, uh, testing and establishing new technologies, as well as um, collaboration. Uh, we have really uh, different collaborative programs in which we bring um, different stakeholders um, on the table uh, you know, for the exchange of knowledge and for uh, overcoming uh, those challenges of the energy industry. And um, looking into the future, um, it is clear that you know, we need more uh, safe and cost-effective uh, energy resources, and um, we need to be mindful of our impact to the environment. So, um, we can't really just focus on one solution, and that's why we have um, you know, a portfolio of um, energy sources that we are you know, exploring and doing research on.
0: Okay. So, and so tell me then your clients are typically oil and gas companies or
1: mostly gas gas utilities. uh, But um, as I said, we have like uh, different clients and um, we also uh, receive like uh, government uh, grants in order to um, uh, do some fundamental R&D or bring the technologies to Um, demonstration stage, um, you know, uh, through some of those uh, government uh, grants that are provided.
0: Okay. And so can you just give us an example? Does anything come to mind, like in the last three years? What maybe is, um, do you think a particularly interesting project or a question that you helped one of your clients answer?
1: Um, Okay, so maybe one of the interesting projects that I am personally really excited about is the uh, digital twin uh, of the um, basically our hydrogen um, project, uh, which is known as H2 at a scale. And um, it's H2S scale H2 at a scale. Right. Okay. Um, and basically the digital twin um, The the purpose of building the digital twin is to help with optimizing the leak detection of a hydrogen uh, in whatever plant uh, that uh, hydrogen is being utilised or produced. Uh, So um, basically, um, the digital twin uh, is going to help us identify what are the potential uh, leak points, how severe those leaks are, and uh, how we can optimally basically detect those leaks. And uh, it's going to guide us with uh, sensor placement. So we have different types of uh, hydrogen sensors, um, and some of them are fairly new and still, you know, in the uh, assessment phase as to, you know, uh, how accurate they are for hydrogen leak detection. But we are going to look at a broad range of sensors and look at um, their performance for leak detection and use the digital twin really to kind of guide us with those sensor placement for um, um, basically having the best coverage with be uh, um deploying minimum number of sensors, uh, to put it that way, you know. Uh, so it's going to help us, guide us how to optimally detect hydrogen leaks um, within a plant. And I'm really excited about this one. Uh, we have um, collaboration with national labs as well as some of the technology developers who are providing the uh, sensors that I mentioned, like different type of sensors. Um, and we are going to use one of the H2 scale uh, sites as a uh, basically case study and uh, to build that digital twin and uh, show the application of that for, for the purpose of sensor placement and leak detection. So uh, I, I think that's one of the most interesting projects uh, okay. that I am involved with.
0: And it sounds like then once you do this for whoever or whatever this particular client is, though it really has the potential um to be applied, uh, larger, uh, to scale to, uh, I mean, whether or not it's the exact solution or what the sensor makers, uh, may learn. Um, there's something in this because hydrogen technology is, um, relatively young. Yes. No. I mean, Yeah. yeah, kind of. And, and, um, and so, you know, to the extent that you said it's going to play a critical role in providing the safe, uh, kind of sustainable, um, energy that we need, um, any opportunity to accelerate, um, the ability to apply this more broadly, I would think would be valuable.
1: Uh, yeah, you're right. And, um, you know, maybe leak detection is just one angle, one example of uh, application of such um, digital infrastructure because essentially a digital twin is a digital representation of your physical asset or physical facility. And uh, you can leverage it for running like different scenarios, different op- operational scenarios and see um, what are the results of that. And, and basically it kind of helps you with uh, doing some root cause analysis Um by, you know, running different scenarios, you can see uh, what are the implications of some of the decisions you are making today in the future on the operation of your plan. So uh, it's really, um, you know, uh, versatile and you can use it for different purposes, but it, it really helps you to optimize your decision making, you know, before um, going into the real world and, you know, um, um having to face with the consequences of those decisions, you will get right. to see them in the virtual world.
0: Right. Excellent. Excellent. That sounds really interesting, Shadi. Um, and so tell me, um, what what are some of the other areas at GTI Energy right now? So you're playing a lead role, it sounds like, in their hydrogen technology center. But what are some of the other areas in GTI?
1: Uh, So, um, as I said, we have like um, uh, different um, projects, different areas of work. Um, So, for example, um, uh, because I have a background in the subsurface, I can also mention that we have a subsurface technology team. They are really focused on um, what are the um, applications of our subsurface infrastructure in the energy transition. So part of that is uh, still helping with uh, enhancement and improvement of, um, recovering our existing resources and part of that is focused on um, and for example CO2 storage as a solution for decarbonizing uh, our fossil fuel industry and part of that is focused on um, again um, uh, storing up this um, alternate um, alternative fuels such as hydrogen um, we also work on uh, methane emission mitigations So, um, again, when we are talking about the natural gas value chain all the way from the production to processing and end use, all of that uh, is associated with some uh, methane emissions, um, you know, um, with different speeds and scales. So, it's really important to be also uh, proactive in uh, mitigating those methane emissions because, uh, essentially, that's another pillar of decarbonization efforts. Um, and uh, we also have, um, um, you know, um, projects around um, or um, teams that are working on, you know, end-use applications. So once we have these alternate um, fuels, how uh, they can be utilized, you know, on the end-use, whether it's appliances in the household or, um, you know, in big plants and big uh, facilities who are going to be end-users of those um, uh, alternate fuels.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So I I did want to, I don't want to let you go completely because before talking about this, I know that you've done some work on CO2 sequestration.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: And, um, you know, this is getting a fair amount of, um, you know, uh, energy and attention, uh, these days. And in fact, there was a big announcement back in the, um, I think in the summer where ExxonMobil, Shell, uh, CNOC, you know, some of the biggest um, uh, companies in the world. Um, in, and they signed an agreement to evaluate the potential uh, for world scale carbon capture and storage unit in China. Um, and so tell us a little bit, what is carbon sequestration and how big a role do you think that's going to play? How important is that in our energy transition?
1: Um, I might be a little biased here, <laughs> okay. but I would say it's uh, also a crucial role. It's going to play a crucial role in our decarbonization. Uh, first of all, we are talking when we are talking about energy transition. It's uh, important to uh, kind of emphasize on that transition so for a foreseeable future we are going to still rely on uh, our fossil fuel resources and in order to use them responsibly and you know sustainably um, we need to be thinking about efficient ways for decarbonizing that and that's where um, you know carbon capture and storage comes to um, comes to the picture And uh, basically, even if uh, we talk about uh, integrating biofuels, again, for the biofuels, a lot of time we need to be considering um, uh, CCUS to some level. And um, why CO2 storage is really important is because um, the more we develop these capture technologies and uh, we are able to capture more um, CO2 with uh, you know, lower costs, it's uh, even more important to consider the ways for safely and securely um, uh, kind of um, locking that CO2 uh, somewhere. And uh, right now, CO2 utilization uh, doesn't have a huge market, um, so it might uh, grow in the future and things might change. But right now, CO2 storage is probably one of the most uh, viable options for kind of handling that CO2 after capture.
0: Okay. And my very limited knowledge on this topic, if I'm remembering correctly, though, is if we want to try to meet um, uh, even the UN targets on limiting uh, the increase in our uh, global temperature, um, if I'm remembering correctly, you know, even if we... Uh, really were able to meet some of the targets around reducing the amount of CO2 emission. Um, If I remember correctly, the reality is if we don't take some of it out of the atmosphere, that it's going to be very tough to have an impact
1: yeah, that's a very good point. And, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, decarbonization, we usually hear the term net zero. Uh, so net zero means that we are going to have some positive emissions. But what matters is that on some of the sectors, we are going to have negative emissions, meaning that we are able to uh, capture some of the CO2 from the atmosphere and uh, basically um coming up to a point that we have a net zero, meaning that even even though we have some emissions still remaining in some of the sectors, and uh, we are able to uh, you know, maintain that um, zero um, overall emission uh, across the sectors.
0: So if we're still emitting, if we get to, to get to a net zero, if we still have some sectors that are emitting, like you said, that means we gotta have some sectors that are negative. To exactly. Offset yeah. that. So, right. so it is pretty important, um, I think, to understand that. Um, okay. So, well, listen, Shadi, I I really appreciate uh, the conversation today, and um, and you know, for for your kind of, even though you're a scientist, because you're a data scientist, I know. Um, I really appreciate the kind of practical layman's approach and, uh, and, uh, discussion, uh, you know, to help all of those of us that aren't scientists. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing a little about what GTI does, GTI energy, um, helping me clarify the difference between the EIA and the IEA and all those other acronyms. And, uh, so thank you very much for being here.
1: Thank you, Joanne, for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. And um, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I learned a lot. So thank you very much. Okay, so that wraps up
1: uh, this episode of
0: the Digital Doers podcast. And uh, I want to, again, thank Shadi for joining us. I want to thank all of you for hitting all of the right buttons so you could join in on this conversation. Uh, I want to thank all of the folks at OGGN. Uh, that make this possible and that uh, um, that uh, help in all the post-production to, uh, uh, to make this uh, clear uh, and enjoyable. I appreciate that. And then last, but certainly not least, I want to thank, again, want to thank HPE. If you get a chance, go take a look at hpe.com and learn a little more about their GreenLake platform, where they bring the cloud to you. So until next time, so long. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.